go there to 1 Timothy where we began. And uh, very simple title to the message tonight. It's three words. Flee, follow, fight. And uh, so that's, that's it. You can go home. No. Flee, follow, fight. And uh, these are commands given in these books. First Timothy, Second Timothy. And um, they are they give instruction for us. First Timothy, when of course Brother Carpenter first led us in the reading in chapter six, if you look again at that passage there, First Timothy chapter six, it begins in verse eight. Having food, well, really verse six will pick up the uh, pick up the thought. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. That means everything we can accumulate in this world is of this world. It has a usefulness in this world. Perhaps it has an appeal in this world. But it doesn't extend beyond that. Having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Then Second Timothy chapter 2, look also at it if you will. 2 Timothy chapter 2, again at the verse there. It talks about vessels, some to honor, some to dishonor. And then it comes down and it says in verse 22, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. They give birth to strife. They, they cause strifes to happen. The saying of fleeing is part of your Christian life, if you're going to live a Christian life. And as many of you tonight were in the service this morning, and as I talked to you about this thing of the evidence of things not seen, and I asked the question, what evidence do we give of our faith? The object of our faith, Christ. In the world that we are involved with and those people we're involved with, do we present evidence of the Lord Jesus Christ by our interactions and by our, by our conduct? And so, if we're going to do that, if we're going to live in a way that we have living faith, like we learned about this morning, not dead faith, which is faith without works, that's... You don't understand what faith without works is. It's 
you saying you have a belief that absolutely does not affect your behavior. You saying you have a belief, but that belief does not affect you in any way of your behavior. That's that's dead faith. And if we're going to have living faith, fleeing is part of it. I don't know about y'all. I don't like to run from stuff. And from the earliest memories I have, if I'm directly scared of something, with the possible exception of large spiders, scared to go somewhere, scared when I was young of being dark somewhere or something, I can still remember gritting my teeth and making myself walk directly towards whatever I was afraid of. I said, well, that's bravery. No, sometimes that's sheer stupidity. It's not, <laughs> not always the best policy in life, but it is, it's an innate thing. But there are some things where to flee. God's structure for success in some areas is just to get away from it. Um, the Bible gives us an example of that, doesn't it? Very early in the Bible, in the book of Genesis. A very godly young fellow who took a strong stand. His name's Joseph. But being many, many miles from home and nobody knowing that he's even alive, he's confronted with a wicked and Woman who obviously was not a beginner at the, at the uh, wicked art of seduction, and she tried to convince Joseph to be evil and immoral with her. And there were multiple pressures there with that. Not only the appetites of the flesh, which could fight against him staying right, but also the pressure of it being. His master's wife and, you know, just all sorts of things came into play. But yet, he valued obedience to God more than the expediency of the circumstance. And he said as much. He said, how can I do this great thing and sin against God? He also had respect for the uh, responsibility which had been entrusted into him. Even though he'd been sold as a slave, he'd been taken into that country Against his will, he still had integrity that he had been entrusted in a privileged position. And he said, I'm not going to use my privilege to do the wrong thing. And the Bible says he didn't stand there, he didn't argue, he didn't debate. But I love the words. Now, I'm not going to the illustration, but these very words have been or helped me as a young man. Especially one particular situation with an, an evil young lady that I crossed paths with and, and as I was a long way from home. I was in Bible college in Texas. And his words got him out. It's amazing. Some words in the Bible which seem so common could be so powerful. But I remember when those flashed across my mind like a neon sign, he got him out. And I did that. Very beautiful, very seductive young lady was flattering me. She was doing everything that a, uh, that a strange woman does. Strange woman sometimes young. They get strange early. And uh, as she got closer, the fellows I understand, my nose was tingling. There was things happening. And that's all I could think of. That verse came. And I mean, she was telling me how wise I was and how much more, more mature I was in my years. She was laying it on thick. And I had enough foolishness and pride to be susceptible. And I'm telling you, it was strong. And uh, I thought of that verse, that's for, it's so funny, you know. So many different verses the Holy Spirit could have brought to mind. And what he brought literally was those words, get him out. And I still remember she was as close to me as that microphone was. And I went, bye, just like that in her face and took off running. 
He like got freaked out, and I kept trucking. Man, I was out of there. Why? He said, well, why didn't you just tell her? No, 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 no. I just, God gave me, I think he gave me the instruction. You know, sometimes you don't sit and argue with him. You just get out of the way. The Bible says, a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself therefrom. You know, one of the four things that the Bible says are exceedingly small, but they're exceedingly wise upon the earth, are, are a little animal called the coney. That's not a hot dog. Technically, it's a hare, which is not exactly a rabbit as you would think of it. They have smaller ears, and, and they're built somewhat differently. But conies, interesting study about them, little critter that lives there in the Middle East. It says in Ecclesiastes, regarding these, one of the four things on the earth, they're exceedingly small but exceedingly wise. It says the conies are a feeble folk, but they build their house among the rocks. And that's exactly what they do. We're not surprised by that. Of course, the Bible is accurate in all things, whether it be uh, natural history, whether it be uh, uh, botany, biology, or whatever. And, uh, and so it's, it's said that they build their house in rocks. That's what they do. They, they aren't super fast to get away. They don't have a fighting defense. And apparently they look like something really tasty to a lot of the predators. And, uh, and they make their house among rocks and stuff so they can just disappear in there. And uh, they got a little sign, Fortress Coney, man. They just put it out there and they hide. And uh, sometimes we've got to be smart like the little Coney is. There's some people you can't be around. There's some situations you can't be in. And uh, you need to recognize that and decide you just, there's sometimes you got to run. Um, there's sometimes you got to get away. You got no one to flee! So I'll just take a stand. Hmm. Take a hike instead. Go. Leave. There's times to do that. It's interesting then, these things, where it says flee also these things there in 1 Timothy 6, it refers back to verses 6 through 10, which we read. And, and a big focus of that is covetousness, the love of money, the will to be rich, it's this materialistic focus of life. I suppose every country, every ethnic group, every society has particular things that would be stronger things you would have to watch for in, in that particular group. In other words, if you're in that particular group, that particular setting, even though uh, temptation is common to all man, there's there's things that are given extra emphasis in that society or that setting. And I don't think it takes a lot of discernment to know that materialism, the love of things, the fascination with what we can possess, is a real stronghold within our nation. Uh, nations like people get under the illusion that they possess wealth, and about that time, wealth possesses them. The evidence of it is, it's very rare to find somebody who will stand on principle if it costs them financially. It's amazing how often the lame excuse is given, well, I, I would have done something, but it could have cost me. I could have done something, but it might cost me my job. And we're talking about issues of character, principle, and integrity. And uh, those who stood for God in times past who are 
put in the Bible or recorded in the Bible, partially to be examples to us, they, they stood when it wasn't convenient to them, when it was costly for them to them. So flee youthful lust. Flee these things it talks about. Then 2 Timothy 2.22, it says flee youthful lust. I put this statement down. You say, what are youthful lusts? Well, it's a deadly combination of unbridled desire and lack of experience. I'll tell you a form of it I see. Somebody sees somebody maybe that they knew from church or maybe know in church. Somebody that they've had acquaintance with and they see that person making decision after decision in their life which goes contrary to what that young person is reading about in their Bible. What they hear explained and taught and preached. And they say, well, so-and-so's doing this. And they're doing okay. They're happy. That's the measurement for everything, isn't it? Isn't that? Doesn't that say somewhere in the Bible, that's our measurement to know something's right because it makes us happy? I think that's in there somewhere, isn't it? No? You all look a little dubious of that. Okay? I hope we're all dubious of that in our living, too. Um, but it is... Makes me happy. They're doing fine. They make all kinds of money. Or this one, I think, is a great clincher. Well, God hasn't killed them yet. Great theological statement. That is. <laughs> That's a combination of unbridled desire and lack of experience. See, sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. And we aren't even privy to when that timetable is. You get to choose when sin starts because you choose whether or not you sin, whether you give in to temptation. You don't get to choose when it ends or where or how. You set that thing in motion, it goes. We had a curious way of amusing ourselves when we were young. And we'd go down to Kentucky, back to the home place they'd call it, there in Caney, Kentucky. If you can imagine the house where 10 out of 11 children were born, where my mom was raised, you have a holler. You understand that language, of course. Not a valley. It really isn't. A valley is much wider. A holler is like, it's narrow. It goes up. And a holler goes up and it's split. Went up to two separate hollers. And at the head of the holler, the main holler, was where the house was. So right out the back window, there was a pathway you could walk. And then the hill directly behind the house, single-story house, went up steeply. And if you were right where it came down, those are sharp hills there in that part of eastern Kentucky. And so it kind of wrapped around. It didn't take long to get around it this way and go up that holler. It didn't take long to get around this way and go up that holler. And all of us cousins were down there and aunts, uncles, cousins. There were a bunch of us. It wasn't a large house. We'd go down there and stay over when they had August meeting. We'd be all there. Some people were sleeping in the back of pickup trucks. Some people on the floor, everything else. Brother Dan's been a part of that cultural experience with my family many, many years ago. Went down and, and 
we we would be there and we kids would go up. I'm the youngest of the youngest, so I was the youngest of the youngins. And we would climb up on top of these hills. We get up there and they had these tantalizing things called rocks. So we played a game for a little while. A couple of cousins would stay down low. The rest of us would go up and we'd roll rocks and they'd dodge them. <laughs> hey, girl, you're tough in the hills. We quit that. I decapitated my sister. Fortunately, the rock was not big enough to do any more permanent brain damage than it did. Love you, sis. Um, She looked around the tree at the inopportune moment right when it skipped up. (laughs) She's out there. Um, Those hills had many charms for us. (laughs) I remember trying to run down one and found out that was a horrible idea. It took a while for my fingers to be right again after I flopped all the way down that hill. It took a while for all the lacerations to heal because I went through two different briar patches where I hit the bottom. But I still remember the one day the older cousins were there, and of course, Barry, a year and a half older than me, and then I'm the youngest, we're there. And there's a big rock. And we're kind of up at the point of that end of that holler, and we would try to send things into the other holler over that way because people didn't usually walk around that way. They usually went around this way, and nobody was going up that way towards Frisbee's place, so we just sent them down that way. And uh, we found a big rock. I don't know how big it was, actually, Brother Robin. It was large enough. There were five or six of us cousins. And I was the youngest, and I could move a little bit of weight when I was young. And the other ones were all bigger than me. And it took all of us to pry this rock loose up. But the cool thing was it was kind of shaped like a wheel. Now, the fact that it was taking five or six of us to get it up on its side should have been a dead giveaway. We shouldn't mess with it. But a bunch of boys on top of a hill in Kentucky. All right? So you have Kentucky genetics, boys, and a hill. That's never a good mix. And we said, wonder if we can get it to roll. Oh, no, we'll try. We pushed it. And it wobbled out of course. And we all went, as we saw it starting to careen towards the house. And we saw... It going down, and in that house are moms and dads that we care about, aunts and uncles that we care about and are afraid of, respectively. This thing's big. And it started that rolling, bounding thing with enough kinetic force to take it through any wall in its way. And we're thinking, this is it. We're done. It kind of bounced and changed trajectory. Unfortunately, it even went behind the, uh, the root cellar they had there. We had built up. But I still remember it got almost to the bottom of the hill, and it hit a live tree. I mean, it was, you know, just ripped it out. They hit the ground. And we all stood there, speechless. Looked at each other. I said, well, I bet that was about enough of that. It was. The oldest cousin said, let's go further back on the hill and find one. And so we did. <laughs> I didn't say we were a bright bunch. We just had a lot of fun. 
Youthful lust is a deadly combination of unbridled desire and lack of experience. Now, it's interesting that Timothy is not a person in his teen years, I don't believe at this point. He's not someone in his preteen years. He's a man who's being given the bishopric of churches. He's being sent to oversee churches, so he's not a novice. But he's warned through the Word of God to flee youthful lusts. In other words, it's a good thing to realize that your carnal nature isn't all grown up yet. And it's a mistake to think that your maturity is a safeguard against sin. Sometimes, as distasteful as this may sound on the surface, sometimes we who have some experience in the battle, some years of spiritual conflict, some understanding of the Scripture, and some years of walk with God behind us, we need to be reminded, sometimes the right formula for us is to get away. Flee! And those who don't stand in jeopardy of falling to these youthful lusts. That's flee. You're going to live Christian life. Sometimes you're going to have to know when to just get away. Second one is the word follow. The two verses we just read, let's look at again, 1 Timothy 6, and let's find the following in there. I don't know where it is you go sometimes, Wayne, but it must be an interesting place. Are you back? Uh, you sure? You didn't have pizza again, did you? Did you? No, okay, I was just saying, I'm trying to find a pattern for you. You may go deeper than your appetite. First Timothy 6. Look in verse 11. But thou, O man of God. I come with that warning to the man of God. We all pay attention to that, couldn't we? Flee these things. Those things which went before. I talked to you about the materialism and that. But that's not the whole formula. You don't just take off running like a some kind of crazy person. You don't know where you're going. You're not running in fear. And just saying, oh my goodness, I need to run. But fleeing has to be coupled with following. You need to flee some things. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. Some things you personally can't do. Some things you personally cannot be involved with. Because for you, it's a death trap. I have enough sense to admit that well, I've got to be strong in that area. No, you've got to stay away from that area. Have some sense about it. But not only flee, it says, and follow. Follow after, okay? First one's righteousness. I'm not trying to oversimplify, but it's a very simple concept. You find out what way it's going and go that way. If I'm following after, I look where the tracks have been laid down, I look where the steps have been, I look what's given out, and I follow that. Damn, if you remember what maps were we used to use? Um, they were things that didn't quit working if you lost coverage and didn't yell at you. 
When you went the right way and they thought it was the wrong way? Because <laughs> they were unaware that you wanted to see some extra territory on that trip? Um, how many of you men argue with your GPS? Verbally. It, yes, praise God. There's a revival. I mean, seriously, we do, don't we? You know the key to it. You got to quit. You got to take the woman's voice off of it. It's what's triggering that. It's like, no, nah, you over there. I know where I'm going. I'm going somewhere where I don't know how to get back. That's where I'm going. Uh, any of you ladies, when that starts happening, you're just like, no, please, no, it's going to be a long trip. Yeah, God bless you. And I'm glad these conveniences are in our lives to bring harmony. <laughs> Then again, maybe not. Um, follow after righteousness. Find out where it's going. When we had maps, we didn't have such things as GPS. And uh, we got on a trip. And I, my mom signed me up for AAA. It was my Christmas present for years and years. Signed me up for AAA when I was 16 years old. That was a good move. They've never made money on me so far. And uh, I'd get these triptychs. Anybody remember those triptychs? Yeah, that's not a parasite you get while you're traveling. Triptych was a trip ticket. They would put together the proper maps for wherever you were going, and we'd go on with those. And you would open it up, and you say, okay, I go down this road, and I go down that road. Now you do it now on your phone or whatever, and you can see if you want to see details of, of where you're going, and it does all that sort of stuff. I went to Indianapolis and back yesterday late afternoon, and uh, as I was traveling over, it said possible speed zone ahead and, and all that. And I was happy for that. My trip takes never told me that stuff. And so we're going down, going down the road and, and uh, just, you know, heading, heading, uh, heading down the road. And what you do is you'd follow that map because you had a destination to where you wanted, you wanted to arrive. If we're following after righteousness, we find out where the map, you see that map there, that King James Bible? We find out where that map says righteousness is. And where, how that map says you go there and what the steps are, and you follow that. Why people make it way too complicated? What's the deeper meaning? Follow the steps. Well, I want to know the spiritual experience of it. It's a good spiritual experience. You don't kill yourself. You follow the steps. And it says follow after righteousness, okay? This is what righteousness talks like. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That which is good to the use of edifying that may minister grace unto the hearers. There you go. Follow after. Pretty neat. This is what righteous relationship with God sounds like. In everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. With thanksgiving. Prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So prayer, I'm talking to God. Supplication, I'm, I'm malleable. I'm movable in His hand. I'm coming to Him not demanding, but putting myself before Him with thanksgiving. Thanking God for all He's done. I let my request be made known to God. I come to Him and ask Him about things. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's what righteous... What's righteous... What is our righteous appearance like? How about this? Uh, ladies, that you likewise... Ladies, that you adorn yourself in modest apparel. With shamefacedness and sobriety. Why? Because it's a hidden man in the heart. about this one applied to it? Let all thy things be done decently and in order. 
How about this? Putting away the filth of the flesh and of the spirit. Cleansing ourselves of the filth and of the spirit, of the flesh and the spirit. These are steps of righteousness. How about this? Bringing tithes into the house of the Lord. You find these living statements of how we behave and what we do. How about this? I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Huh. Wow. So these are steps if we're going to follow. It's not complicated. Find the steps. Do the steps. Simple. That's not all, but look also here at the rest of this. I keep closing it out here, and that's I need it here. In verse 11, why do we follow? We're fleeing these things we talked about, these materialistic things, but we follow after righteousness, godliness. I preached a message here once entitled, are, are you godly or just spiritual? The two things are not equivalent. Godliness is living in a manner which has been, is being influenced and exemplifies God working in your life. It's not just feeling like a spiritual person. Being in touch with your spiritual self and all that other garbage jargon that goes on today. It's knowing the God of heaven and Him affecting your behavior. Godliness, faith, love, that's a good thing to follow, isn't it? What steps take me towards expressing love the right way? What steps keep me in dealing in love and not succumbing to lust? How about this? Patience. You know the Bible admonishes us to let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect in the entire, wanting nothing. God says you want to learn about maturity. You want to become a complete, healthy, whole Christian. Then you have to let patience have a perfect work on you. And of course, uh, tribulation worketh patience. So you're going to come into trials. You're going to come into things that you have to go through. And then you learn how to respond to God while you're going through those things. And it matures you and gives you overall Strength and health in your life. And I like that. And then meekness. There, there's a humility in that in order to, to uh, uh, be as we ought to do. It's interesting. Um, charity and peace are added in the other list in 2 Timothy 2.22. And what is this? We're following. Huh. Look at 2 Timothy 2.22. Let me share one other thing about that. Of course, in the list that's given there, you have charity and you have peace also, but I want to show you something else. Look at this. Verse 22. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace. Then look at this additional statement here for understanding. With them. I wish you'd mark that. With them. That call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Here's why I put down this following after. Companions are chosen. Do you know the Bible says evil company corrupteth good manners? That does not mean you forget to say how to say thank you, please. Pardon me. Those would be good things to learn how to do. But when you find the word manners in the Bible, you'll find such verses as you know what manner of men we were among you. 
So he dwelt with you daily. And such was his manner from his youth. It's your normal character of behavior. Evil communications. Isn't that interesting? How up to date God is. That he preserved for us in a 400 year old book a word which absolutely and completely fits all this new stuff that never, nobody ever heard of before. So God's not taken by surprise. Evil communications. Corrupt commands. Hmm. Interesting. So when you choose your companions, whether you see them face to face or whether they're just out there somewhere, you choose what you're following. Because your choice of companion reveals your heart. So you can't help the relatives you were born with. Anybody want to thank God for that right now? But you don't get to choose. I didn't get to choose my brother. didn't get to choose my sister. And only fair to say they didn't get to choose me. I didn't get to choose my mom. didn't get to choose my dad. You know, life's so unfair. I was left out all this choosing. I didn't get to choose one uncle, one aunt. Nobody asked my opinion. I was not consulted. I feel totally disenfranchised. <laughs> but I do choose my friends. I do choose my companions. And that choice reveals more about me than it does them. And so, when we're following, your companions are chosen. And the out of is the condition inside us. Choosing these companions who out of a pure heart. So the out of is dealing with what's inside us. Are they, we choose our companions and there's something that comes outside of us. And that's the following. You'll follow according to what comes out of you. Then, not only do we flee, follow, but there's a fight. I like that. 1 Timothy 6, verse 12 6 and verse 12, and we've looked over 11 a couple of times. It says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. It's a good fight of faith. Faith gives the purpose of the fight. You know, it's always good to know you're in a, if you're in a fight what you're fighting about. Not everybody is. Some people just jump in and get into it. The purpose of the fight. Jude, in that one chapter book in verse 3, it says, earnestly contend for the faith. That contending, that's a term that's used in the boxing world. They talk about a contender. Sometimes in other sports too, someone's a contender. That's somebody who has a potential for a championship, has a potential to win. And the Bible says to earnestly contend, what? For the faith which was once delivered to the saints. And so what is that? That's a good fight. The purpose of the fight is contending for the faith. What is that? Keeping it alive in the sense of we're passing it down. We're not giving it life. But we're perpetuating it by passing it down. It means that we're not willing to accept it being changed. 
had a very interesting conversation with a couple, I think that was last week. And they've been involved in churches and music ministry. I mentioned a little bit about it the other day, but there's a point I want to make with I enjoy talking with them. I enjoy talking to them, and I ask them each to tell me. I said, tell me about when you came to know Christ as your Savior. She was 14, he was 8. Let me just be clear about this without slapping towards these people. They are folks that I think if they visited our services here, they would enjoy the fact there's Bible preaching in that, but I don't think they would ever land because we are not where they are or where they're going to be with their music, their style of having services. Further, when I teach that the contemporary Christian music is not just a bad idea, but it is imbued with evil influence and is corrupt. We probably have a little bit of the party in the ladies right there. So my wife, I kind of enjoyed the conversation because we were talking about things of the Lord and they were people who were trying to serve the Lord and they were kind of hurting. And I was trying to help them Say, hey, keep serving the Lord and keep believing on Christ and telling the people about Him. Say, well, they don't, they don't agree with the way you do things. That's really not the issue. But it was kind of funny. I said it was one of those conversations I appreciate when I run into this with somebody. You could tell it was a free conversation, Brother Chris, but you could tell both of us were staying out of certain areas in that conversation. They didn't have to look twice at me over there with my King James Bible out and my shirt and tie on working on the Bible to figure out that probably I was a little different than they were used to. And I had no illusions that we were going to have an agreement in every area. Are you ready for this? So these folks, if you allow me to use this generic phrasing, who would be probably in their approach to many things far to the left of what I believe is right and some of the stuff that they would think is a good idea stuff I'll preach against. You know one of the things they were heartbroken over? The main thing they were heartbroken over? Was the decay and corruption they were seeing coming in churches through music. They're over here, this representing towards the worldly and godly music that's trying to mix the world's music and God's Word. From where I believe we ought to be with things and, and that I believe I can substantiate. And they're heartbroken over what they're seeing coming in there. And they're like, some of this stuff is downright evil. Do you understand? I said, yeah. I said, much of what's coming in is nothing but Eastern mysticism. Everything about it has more to do with mysticism and the occult than it does with godly spirituality. And it's totally corrupting American churches, and by that, totally corrupting churches around the world. And they agreed with that. You say, preacher, what's your point? With? We need to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints that we are not willing to have it be distorted, destroyed, and taken away. I'm not talking about going out and jumping on people. I give illustrations like this for a couple different reasons. 
obviously it's built out of something that actually happened. I'm in no way tailoring this, this illustration to fit the message I'm preaching. I believe God allows things to come into a preacher's life and different experiences that helps put a day-by-day face and footing on some things we're trying to teach to our congregation. But the reason why I would take time for an illustration like that is I, I want you to understand biblically that we are supposed to have integrity and God, a godly spirit on how we deal with our brothers and sisters in Christ even when they may be making choices or involved in something that we would take a firm stand and say that is a departure from what I know would be right. And it, we, we've got to have God's grace to do that. And it's not, you're okay, we're okay. No. I was, there was a specific thing I think I was able to be helpful with them at that point in time, gave them some scripture on. But here's the thing about it. I was actually, and forgive me, you may, you may mark me off for this statement, that's okay. Um, I was really, Brother Carpenter, hoping they didn't ask me a couple of real specific questions. I did, because I thought I can actually be a help to them right now. And, and, and you could tell when they when they heard someone call me pastor and they started talking to me, if there was a hunger there. They're in church, but they don't have a home church, and they're trying to figure out what's going on and why are so many things changing and why is this coming in? And I look at them and I say, they don't even have a solid Bible to be on. They don't have a solid footing, and, and they're confused by what's going on. And Brother Keith, uh, forgive me, but I'm thinking, please don't ask me a really great question about what you're talking about. Here. Because you know what's going to happen if they do. I'm not going to be mean, but they might think so. I am going to be plain. Are you understanding that there's a good fight? A good fight didn't involve looking at them and saying, well, I'll tell you what, you're just part of that crowd over there, and that's a mess, and that's what your whole problem is. You get right with God and get out of that. That's not a good fight. Good fight is us putting our energy into earnestly trying to accomplish the purpose of the Lord in people's lives. And we do it through truth. And there's times people will not like what you say. And there are people who will be very upset by your stand if you stand on the Bible. But don't let it ever be. And may God help us not let it be because we've come in a self-righteous, arrogant way and say, well, we have the truth, you don't. Because that's sickening to the Lord. Fight the good fight. It's a good fight. I like a good fight. I don't want to fight with you tonight. But a good purpose of it. What is this thing of earnestly contending? It is with dedication. You have set yourself to say, this is what I believe. Here I stand, if I may quote a man who was a very brave man, Martin Luther, when he was being pulled in to what they call a die, and he was being examined by would-be inquisitors. And many a man had been executed for saying less than what he said against the Roman institution. When they asked him to recant, give up what he had written, especially what he had said, he said, here I stand, I can do no other. Why? He decided there was a diligence. There was a there was a standing, a dedication. This is truth. 
Do you know that even while Daniel requested Belzar that he would not have to eat the king's meat, he had already purposed in his heart he wasn't going to. But his approach to it was an approach that was wise. Earnestly contend for the faith. Dedication, diligence, and intelligence. What good does it do to damage somebody to prove a point? What good does it do to go around... You know, I, I remember I was sick and uh, a fellow wrote an article and there were some of the brethren were fracassing with one another. And he was talking about somebody thought had made an error in a certain way. And he kept using this phrase. He said, I stood, I sat tall in the saddle for this truth. He used that about four or five times. I thought that's got to be one of the most obnoxious little things I've ever read in literature. For somebody to talk about how, what a great standard they Look at me! Look at me. Yeah, that's the whole thing, isn't it? Look at me. How about if we honor Christ, stand strong, and say, some things in life are a matter of, you have a choice on it. Some things in life are declared by God. There's no give on those. Here it is. Somebody says, well, I don't agree with you. Isn't it funny how we feel like we have to answer everybody who just squalls at us? Well, I don't agree with you. That argument I just showed you is very disconcerting for people who are trying to rile you up. Well, you know, you think you're... Don't they worry. You just think you're always right. Now, here's what I understand the Bible to say. Well, who do you think you are? Not really thinking about myself. That's the issue. One of my favorites is somebody. Well, it's the way you've been brought up. I wasn't brought up in church and I'm around it. That uh, that one's always neat to me. It's because it's like, oh. Still remember a friend from high school visited us when we were in Bible college and we lived in our little bay, half a house we lived in. And... Uh, Nick when he came up and uh, he's studying to be a lawyer he is a lawyer now and uh, he was trying to put me on the gr- you know, grill, grill me about our belief and so he got me, it was great it was, it, was a, it was a young lawyer interrogation mode Nick's father is Greek he's a very intimidating looking individual, very, very serious and he said comes right to me he goes, are you going to tell me that you fully believe God all the time? It's like, yeah. I said, absolutely not. And I still remember his face. I said, no, not even close. I said, it'd be nice. No. And I think he asked too, you mean you never have any doubts? I said, no, I do have doubts. And I still remember he's like, yes, he just stopped. I remember his expression. He goes, I didn't expect you to say that. I said, it's the truth. He goes, he goes, I go after my brother and sister like that, and they always fight back. I said, there's nothing to fight. I know whom I believed. Now I have doubts, but God's true. I have days I can't see, but God's not blinded. I don't fully understand the book, but it's His. There's just so much freedom in that, it's incredible. 
That's a whole lot better fight than, I'll tell you what I think. Let me see if I can eviscerate you verbally with my quick wit and my expansive vocabulary. No, you idiot. Hush and believe the Lord. And that's the right way of doing things. I was the idiot referred to in that illustration. Faith establishes the parameters of the fight. What does it mean? There are some rules. You realize in professional boxing you have what are commonly called the Queensberry Rules, named after the Marcus de Queensberry, which I didn't say right because it's French and I can't do French words. Um, which actually wasn't a boxer. But anyway, um, certain rules, and you go outside of those, then you're disqualified from the fight. They had certain ways you go about things. And... Uh, you know, in the old days of the bare knuckle fighting, those things, some of those, some of those bouts, brother Chris, lasted over two hours. They basically fought till somebody couldn't move anymore. 25, 26 rounds. Anybody read about those or know about those old fights? Tell you what, you do that stuff. Someone knocked your brains out a long time ago. You know. So anyway. In the early days, people people died in the rain. They still do sometimes, but it was not uncommon. Just a concussive injury from it. Crazy. Um, But there are parameters, boundaries to the fight. How about some of these? I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached others, I myself should be cast away. What's that talking about? That talks about realizing that we need to mortify our, our members, which are in this earth, that's our body and, and the things associated with it, that we're supposed to mortify or kill that, bring that into subjection to Christ. In other words, the parameter of this fight is that I can't, we, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I can't defeat a spiritual foe with fleshly weapons. How about this one? Let your moderation be known unto all men, for the Lord is at hand in Philippians 4 verse 5. How about this in 1 Timothy 4.12 where uh, Timothy was told to be an example unto the believers. And then it lists in several things, purity, charity, faith, and all these things. These are the parameters. And so we need to flee. There's some things... Listen, I mentioned it. Listen, there's some things you can't do. This is part of your Christian living. You have a personal walk with God. There are some things which are, there are even some things which are not necessarily, strictly speaking, sins in the Bible, but you can't do them. There are certain things in living and decisions and even things that I do that I have respect for the office which I hold as a pastor of a church and it brings me into a constraint. Don't think like a straitjacket. Think of a good boundary that the Lord has. That this is... I'm a pastor. Whether I'm here or somewhere else. Never off duty. Always a representative of the Lord. And you have some things that you can't do. I have some things that I can't do. There are things that we need to learn and understand that our flesh, if we get near that area, near that person, involved with that thing, some of y'all need to shut off some communications that are doing nothing but perverting your mind. 
I know it doesn't sound macho. I know it doesn't sound all big and brave and bad, but sometimes just run. It's called survival. Their parameters. And then faith reveals the prize of the fight. It's a prize fight, as I told you earlier. Look at Philippians chapter 3. We flee, we follow, we fight. I feel like a cheerleader up here, don't I? <laughs> Pretty impressive. Philippians chapter 3. Go team, amen. Philippians 3. Verse 14. I press toward the mark. That mark's established by God, not us. God has detailed what He wants in our life. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to push towards that and I'm going to press towards that. Why? Because God does that. <laughs> when we flee, when we follow, when we fight, when we fight, we want to, we ought to go out as want to go out as a champion. I've always been interested in boxing, playing around in box round. I've never been involved in it really. Really, when your reach is that, I mean, look, look how close my nose is to that. Um, it's not, it's not. You're not really set up for big time boxing. You know, what I mean, basically, people are going to be using your head as a target while you're trying to get to them. So when you've got a reach like that, you don't do that. You want a sport where you grab people and twist them. That's what you want. Um, but it's interesting, and it's very sad to see a boxer, whatever weight class, that was really good, and they step out of boxing, and they get some age on them, and they come back for that one last championship. They come back that one time too many. You know? And they may make a fortune while they're doing it, but they look horrible. They get in there and they're hitting the guy, you know, and this used to be somebody people were terrified of, and they hit the guy and the guy just looks him like so, you know. They can't get out of their own way. Yeah. They no longer float like a butterfly, they sort of flop like an albatross. Yeah. No shuffle, you know, they know this stuff. <laughs> it's uh their, their physique is more molten than chiseled. <laughs> and it's just as sad. So you try to do it. Pass the prime. Let's go out as a champion. Say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, look in Romans 8. Show you what I mean by that. Romans chapter 8. We flee, we fi- follow, we fight. Romans chapter 8. It talks about persecutions, things that come on, even up to uh, people being executed for their faith. And then in verse 37, it says, you look, it's been saying you look back and see some of the trouble God's people go through, and it seems that they're just in terrible shape and victims. But verse 37 says, it's not really the way it is. It says, nay, in all these things, we are more than what? We're more than conquerors. You know, a conqueror always has to defend their position and try to hold the land which they conquered. That's always the downfall of every empire. They go to a certain point and they go and then they try to maintain that while they try to go and they end up, it ends up collapsing after a while. We're more than conquerors. How are we more than conquerors? Look what the verse says. Through Him... 
that loved us. In other words, we don't have to hold the ground because He's holding us. We go out as a champion. I'll tell you something, when you follow the Lord, you go out as a champion. I don't care what your strength may be like or not like. I don't care what you may possess or not possess. You're a champion. Why? Because you have, you're more than a conqueror through Him who loved us. And then, as a ceiling and the evidence of that, look at verse 38, for I am persuaded. And that's a great way to be in life. My heart's desire for you as God's people and the people God's given me to love and serve, my heart's desire for you and for me is for us to be persuaded. Persuaded by the Scripture. Persuaded by the Word of God. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that's victory. That's complete victory. That's victory that doesn't fade. That's victory that doesn't weaken. Flee! Follow. Fight. And let God's Word put you in a good fight with good boundaries and go out as a champion. Let me pray with you tonight. Father, thank You for Your words. These simple and powerful words in Timothy. God, I want to do these things the right way. I believe a lot of the folks who just listened do too. God, help us to put that into immediate action. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, please.